Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Adenike and Brandy. Due to having sickle cell anemia disease, Adenike's pregnancy was considered high risk and required her to have a red blood cell exchanges every four weeks. Understanding the current status of maternal care, Adenike and Brandy were prepared for a battle within their hospital birth. With the support of their doula and their ancestors, they were able to have a birth led by them. Hello, Adenike. Hello, Brandy. Welcome to the show. Hey. Thank you. Thank you. How are you? (laughs) We are well. We are thrilled to have y'all. And let's just start off with, can you tell us a little bit about yourselves and your family? Okay. um, So I'm Adenike. And um, what about us? (laughs) (laughs) We have an interesting kind of little story, I guess. I guess like we've crossed paths like many, many times before we actually before we actually met online. Um, So one example would be like we graduated from Morgan on the same day, but we didn't know each other. (laughs) And then later on. We were just kind of talking. It's like, yeah, I used to, you know, work here. Oh, I used to go there all the time. So yeah. we crossed paths many of times, but we didn't meet until we met online. Um, so we're just two two January babies that cross paths, and here we are. Come on through, universe. I know, right? <laughs> the universe was like, we gonna make this happen. Yeah, we keep missing each other, yeah. but it. The timing was what that the timing was when it needed to happen. Yeah. And also, sh- shout out to January b- babies because both um, Danny and I. Hey. Oh, really? January babies. Hey. And I'm the 12th. She's the 12th. 27th. 22nd. Oh, nice, wow. nice. <laughs> Look at that. It's a Capricorn oh. vibe. <laughs> no, Aquarius. Oh, we're Aquarius. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the end of January. But. Yeah. But yeah, even in one instance, we were living across the street from each other, but didn't know each other in the same um, space. Yeah. <laughs> so it was just crazy. That is wild. Can you tell us about how your pregnancy went? Um, so my pregnancy overall was good. Um, the journey to get pregnant took a while. How many times did we try? We tried about five times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. And that was even interesting, too, because um, we thought that because uh, we did IUI, um, so um, intrauterine insemination. And we thought that we were, you know, like we always come into spaces and it's like, oh, OK, you know, my ancestors are present here, you know. Mm-hmm. And the crazy thing is I'm Nigerian and Haitian and um the nurse practitioner who did our IUIs, how many times did she do it? Twice? She did twice, yeah. Was Nigerian. So we're like, oh, auntie is helping yeah. us out, <laughs> you know. Um, and both of them failed. And um, the third time COVID hit, Brandy couldn't come with me. And um, the nurse practitioner who did it, she was like, you know, anything you want to tell me about, you know, what's going on? I said, well, I have a tilted uterus. And she was like, well, that's good to know because it said that um, in the notes that the nurse practitioner had a hard time finding your cervix. And I was like, she never, but she, she never, never, she said, never said that to us. And so actually that was the fifth time by the time we got her. Cause we tried twice at home. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, 
she was like, okay, well, that's good to know. She was like, no problem, found your cervix, and then we got pregnant. Um, so it was kind of interesting that in the least expected way, we got pregnant. Yeah. But we thought that, you know, auntie was helping us out, but she didn't <laughs> say nothing, you know. Yeah. But the pregnancy was um, overall good. Um, she uh, is her own little person, even when she was, when I was pregnant with her, she does things when she wants. They were like, Let, let's see this face. Let me see that hand. And she's like, I'm not here for it at all. <laughs> um, but um, no morning sickness, didn't throw up once. And this one over here, Brandy is, uh, that's like her kryptonite throwing <laughs> up. And so I, she was blessed that I didn't, I didn't get any sickness. I really was. Um, but I carried well. I didn't have any issues at all. Um, it was just the red cell exchanges, um, and they were torture to me. Um, because I have sickle cell, um, sickle cell patients are known to have babies that are um, low birth weight because my cells are shaped differently, so my body carries oxygen differently. And so I... Um, did the red cell exchanges, but they're really not fun. I'm strapped down to a bed pretty much, you know, with my hands out for four, four to five hours, just getting blood into me and, and my blood exiting me once, at, at once every four weeks. So it was definitely not comfortable. And because we were pregnant during COVID, I couldn't have Brandy there. So I was there by myself. Um, another thing is we live in Virginia, Northern Virginia, um, but I get care in Baltimore. Um, so I was driving, well, we were driving to Baltimore at least two, three times a week. Yeah. So that was hard. Um, but besides that, me carrying, that was fine. No issues with swelling or anything like that. Just caring so thank you for sharing that with us that experience um, we often hear about people having sickle cell during pregnancy and that it's just challenging mm -hmm. it does they we don't always hear about what makes it more challenging and what you actually have to go through to make it a healthy and safe pregnancy for both of you so thanks for breaking that down and sharing like what it actually looks like to do that yeah no problem even before the pregnancy, I mean, current, like we, we were doing like vision boards. We saw a lot of stuff come to light with, you know, the vision boards. We just kept talking about it and seeing it through. We actually, you know, it's something we planned for. It wasn't like an accident or, you know, like, so we, we did um, a lot of research, you know, um, in, the, in, in, the, in the beginning. Um, still, I mean, even still now we do a lot of research and, and our, in the doula, she really helped throughout the um, pregnancy as well with each and every single st um, phase of the pregnancy. So, Which leads me into um, our my next question, kind of, you know, you talked a bit about the prep work before, um, but can you dive a little deeper into that? And then also, what did prep for birth look like? Um, was it, I, the, it sounds like it was something you were thinking about, but can you walk us through what that looked like? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I am an avid 
researcher. <laughs> I'm a social worker, um, and but I also question everything. You know, um, having sickle cell, people like to tell you what you need to do for yourself, and it's like I know my body. Um, so I did research before even getting pregnant. Like, you know, how can I best do this as naturally as possible without? you know, hormones or chemicals or anything like that. Um, so I just deep dive into the world of, you know, birth and pregnancy. And so we, I did um, research on what pregnancy may look like and what birth is, you know, a birth um, to me, I wanted it to be as it was, you know, for my mom or my grandmother. I, I didn't know my grandmother. My mom didn't know my her mother, um, but she. my mom grew up in Haiti. There's no Western medicine going on over there. And so they were able to navigate all these people, you know, before us, my grandma, my great grand, and all be before us navigated pregnancy and birth without Western medicine. So I did a lot of research on what does that look like you know, how I, how can I make this as natural as possible um, to get back to the roots, you know? Um, and so I wanted to do, um, I knew that home birth was probably not possible um, because of my sickle cell. So I wanted to do, um, uh, what do you call it? A birthing center. Um, but birthing center was like, yeah, no, you're high risk, not only because of my sickle cell, but I also have um, some heart issues that are related to my sickle cell. And so they were like, yeah, this is not going to be a good fit. So knowing that, I knew that hospital was the only way. And so I wanted to figure out how I can navigate the hospital um, births without being, without appeasing the practitioners that were there. Um, so I just looked up a lot. And I actually, before getting pregnant, wanted to get into being a doula myself. Um, but I already work at night. I work from midnight to eight in the morning. And so that wouldn't work. Um, and the Brandy, she doesn't understand work that's not between the hours of nine to five. So um, it's, that wouldn't work either with our relationship. So, um, but I did a lot of, you know, research and stuff um, about what doula work is and, you know, how they can support us in, you know, um, pregnancy as well as um, birth. The other thing is, is my brother, my younger brother, he is, um, how do, how would I describe him? He, he's not a mainstream guy, right? So yeah. what he, the way that he lives his life is not nine to five or, you know, going, going to work to make money. Like he lives comfortably, but he doesn't force himself to be in this mainstream world. So he grows a lot of his food, you know, he is just spiritually on a different level than, you know, the rest of us. And so he crossed paths with these two um, midwives um, in California. He lives in California, in Oakland, California. And um, he got, he 
he connected us um, when I got pregnant. And so I was able to talk to them as well because one had experience, well, they both had experience, like 30 plus years experience working um, as um, uh, midwives, but one worked currently in a hospital and the other one didn't. So I kind of got two different perspectives as well as Although they do have a nine to five kind of, you know, mainstream lifestyle, they they did other things that pulled them away from mainstream and got back to self and, you know, the roots of things. So that's pretty much how we prepared. Can you describe your birth experience for us? Yeah. Um, so stories upon stories. <laughs> so... Um, I was seeing a maternal fetal medicine specialist so because I was high risk. And funny thing is, he was also Nigerian. And it just happened that 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 he was my doctor. Um, and um, so I was seeing him once a month and then every two weeks at, at the end of the pregnancy. And in the beginning, he was like, you can't go past 30, 38 weeks. 38 weeks. You can't go past 38 weeks because you're you have sickle cell and you know you're high risk and you know we don't want anything to happen to you or the baby i'm like okay that's fine um and then we got closer to 36 weeks and he was like well your pregnancy is fine you know your heart's doing well um so you can go a little longer let's try you know 39 weeks and i'm like okay he's like but we'll schedule an induction i'm like okay fine we'll put the induction on the books but i'm not doing no induction um and then um, we got to 30, 38 weeks. And that at that time, the COVID regulations changed and Brandy was able to come with me. And so we sat there and asked him every single question. Okay, so what if I go into labor? Because I live, we live two and a half hours away from the hospital we were um, going to deliver at. So I'm like, okay, so what happens if my water breaks, you know, what are we going to do? And Brandy was like, we're not having a baby in a car. We're not having a baby at this house. So we need to get a hotel, you know, in Baltimore so that we're closer to the hospital. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't really like that idea, but okay. And so we asked him, I feel like we asked him every single question about in what, in this scenario, what we should do. Um, the other thing is, is that he is, he actually started his OB practice, like he started practicing as a um, an OB in Nigeria, where Western medicine is not a thing. So epidurals and inductions is not a big thing, right? But in that um, last uh, appointment, he was like, I think you should get an, an epidural. And I'm like, well, why? <laughs> why? Why do I need the epidural? Like, you know, I've been going through this pregnancy, haven't had any issues. Why do you think I need the epidural? And he's like, well, you know, he told me a story about his wife and how, you know, when she had her child um, afterwards, she told him she doesn't understand why any woman would not give birth naturally without epidural. And I'm like, okay, that's your wife, you know, but that ain't me. I don't want the epidural. And, um, you know, I asked him, I said, did you give epidurals in Nigeria? And he was like, no. And I'm like, okay, so why do you think that I need one 
just because, you know, I have sickle cell. He was like, well, sickle cell, you know, is, is um, a disease that can lead to, um, if you're stressed, you, you can have complications. And I'm like, and he's like, yeah, um, delivery is the most stressful thing you can put your body through. I'm like, I, I hear you, but no. So anyway, we leave that appointment, we go home and I'm like, I am not getting induced. It's not happening. So what can I do? So we started walking, we started doing curb walking. Um, we have a million stairs in our house. We were walking up and down the stairs. Um, I was making things with okra in it just to make sure a baby slips right out. And <laughs> so we were doing a lot um, to try to get pregnancy, I mean, to, to get labor starting. And we had already finalized like birth uh, plan with the doula. And we went over that. I had made like 10,000 copies to hang up around the hospital just so they wouldn't, so they would know. So they wouldn't ask any questions. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I did, I did, I did a uh, text and I did a uh, dia uh, diagrams <laughs> just in case I did all of it in um, one sheet. So it was easy to read and you know, easy to comprehend. <laughs> so we didn't want, um, I didn't want to be asked about pain medicine. Um, I didn't want an episiotomy. Um, cervical checks. No cervical checks. I didn't want that. Um, what else was on it? Um, no eye dye. I uh, no ointment. No eye ointment for after birth, like uh, for the uh, baby. Yeah, for the baby or um, preservative free hep um, B shot or K, K, K vitamin K. Vitamin K yeah. Um, just little things like that. Yeah. And we also didn't want them to wipe her down or bathe her or whatever. Yeah. We wanted skin to skin. Yeah. Um, so all of that was in the birth plan. Um, and so we finalized that. And, you know, our doula, Donna, she was, you know, there for us from first trimester all the way, you know, to so the end. To, yeah. And so, you know, she taught Brandy different, you know, pressure points that she could do if I went into labor and stuff like that. And she also kind of walked us through what labor would look like and me because I'm an avid researcher I knew all that stuff but you know Brandy um (laughs) throw me under the bus I'm not throwing (laughs) you under the bus but you know it was helpful to Brandy and she had more experience with uh, children than I did way more way more like I had like none and she had (laughs) like she like had already raised like two kids you know her sister and brother that's you know younger than her or whatever and I'm like Mm. <laughs> yeah, so um we um so we were doing the curb walking and you know trying to prepare for birth and you know I had been doing some yoga especially in the last trimester mm-hmm. and um one night oh Brandy was also doing um para what's it called perineal massages. Yeah. Um and so uh we were doing that every night and I was doing the yoga and um, at this time, I was not working. So um, at 38, 38 and a half weeks or something, I got on FMLA, not because there was anything wrong with me, but just because the distance to the hospital was so great. Uh, and who wants to go in labor at midnight on a military base that she can't get to? It Just a mess. So I got I um, got on FMLA early. So um, that night we had made. Was that the same night, Jambalaya? Mm-hmm. So we made Jambalaya, and um, 
I did my yoga. Brandy did the peritone- perineal massage. Um, and then she went and took our dogs out. Mind you, our dogs are also Capricorns. <laughs> But that's another story. <laughs> um, but so she took our little dogs out. One is um, seven pounds. The other is four. And so she took the dogs out because she didn't want me to do anything when I was that big. <laughs> not, not anything. She heard something drop. She's like, what's going on? But anyway, so she wants to go take the dogs out. And I was kind of falling asleep because, you know, I'm ready for bed. And um, you tell the story. <laughs> Yeah, I gotta be like, yeah, this lady is crazy. No, <laughs> this is a serious. This really happened. Okay, so I go to take the dogs out. Oh, wait, before you tell the story, um, we do like candles in the house, you know, especially my mom. You know, I learned from my mom. You know, she lit candles for our ancestors, and so we did that as well. And so probably thirty eight, right at, right after I got home from work you know, my last day of work, we lit a candle for Adair, you know, our daughter, um, just to let the ancestors know that we need your help. You know, we, we need your help in this, in this manner. We want you to help us bring her to this side of the world safely. Um, so anyway, back to the story. (laughs) Okay. A little background is where we live. We've been living here for probably about Five, five years, four Almost years. five years. Almost yeah. five years we've been living here. You know, people come, they go, but, you know, the close neighbors, you you see them. Like, you know who your close neighbors are. You see them all the time. Um, because I have dogs, too. I'm always out there walking around. Um, and so that night, I'm walking the dogs. I open the door, and there's a, um, a black lady sitting across the street. Like, you know, not across the street, but, like, we across live in, like, courtyard. this townhome. So she's, like... She's like 20, 20 feet away to, the, you know what I'm saying, to the next little town home. And um, I open up the door and she's just sitting there and she was like, you know, it's raining outside. Right. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, I know it's, it's fine. Not raining, but it was, you know, drizzling a little bit. And so, um, you know, I go to the right, walk in the dogs and my other neighbor comes out and she's like, oh, it's drizzling a little bit. So she goes back into the house. She had just gotten her hair done. Yeah. And I don't, you know, you get this wet, whatever. I don't care. (laughs) And so, um, you know, the lady is still sitting there and I keep walking, you know, I'm getting further and further away from her. And I'm like, who is this lady? I like, I've never seen this lady before, like a day in my life. We've been here five years. I've never seen this lady before. And so I was interested in getting to know the lady because, you know, we're neighbors. So by the time, um, one, by the time I get to the end of the street, like it had completely stopped raining or drizzling. And then by the time I'm turning around, I see her get up and walk like away in the distance but like not towards a parking lot or anything like that, you know, like she was just walking away. And so I come back in and I'm like, Nikkei, this lady told me it was raining, but then it stopped raining. And then like, I'm trying to figure out who she is. And then she's gone. Like she walks away and I'm half asleep. I'm like, and my neighbor had came outside and I didn't really, you know, I didn't think nothing of it. I'm like, all right, well, whatever. So then we go to sleep, we go to sleep. And the dogs, you know, or the whole house is asleep. And then all of a sudden, I just feel like this sharp sensation. And then I'm like, go get me some paper towels. And my water just breaks. <laughs> that same night, uh, yeah, the same night her water broke. 
Yeah. Um, not too long after this lady tell me it's raining, but it's not really raining. I'm like, it's not really raining. Why is she talking about some rain? Like, watch out for the rain. I'm like, it's not really raining. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, so uh, my water breaks and then contractions kind of start. Um, and Brandy, you know, is kind of um, keeping track of it and it's not really going anywhere. So by the time through an app, by the way, because yeah. I can't get wrap my mind around the how many minutes and then it, how strong and all it, through an app. <laughs> it, and I'm, I'm asking Nika, how strong are they? OK, two. So it's keeping track, you yeah. know, through the app. So I'm like, it's not really, we text the doula and we also text the midwives that we had been communicating with. Because we were meeting with the midwives on on FaceTime like uh, once a month. Um, So we text the doula, Donna, and then we also text the midwives and let them know. Um, But I was like, "Mm, these, these waves aren't strong. So let's go to sleep. Yeah. And Brandy's like, we need to go to the hospital. We need to go somewhere and i'm like no we're not going anywhere i'm not i'm not i'm not setting myself up for a c-section it's not going to happen um especially knowing you know having sickle cell like me having sickle cell um there's a lot of stigma to having sickle cell so whenever somebody sees me um in a hospital setting they're like oh my gosh you have sickle cell. This is what we need to do instead of like, wait, wait, hold on. Like, listen to what I got to say. So I was like, we're not going to the hospital. I'm going to sleep. So we wake up and then it's like probably nine ish o'clock and I'm good. Like no, no waves or anything through the night. I'm okay. Like it's, I mean, my water broke and every time I got up, it's just, you know, trickled, but I was like, mm, I'm, I'm good. And so Brandy's like, we, we need to let the doctors know. And I'm like, okay, fine. So I call them and I let them know my water broke. And they're like, you need to come in. I'm like, okay, well, I'm two and a half hours away. It's going to take me a minute. And But at this time, it had it had already been about, I guess, 12, 12 hours, hours, 13 yeah. hours since her water had broke. Yeah. Um, and I was GBS negative. Um, so um, I was like, it's going to take me a minute to get there. I live two and a half hours away. And they're like, okay, just, you know, make it here. And I'm like, okay. So I took, we took our sweet time. And by that time we're on the road, on our way there. We, we um, got in contact with my sister, who's a teacher and told her that she needs to take the dogs. And so she was going to meet us at the hospital after she got off of work on our way to the hospital torrential downpours (laughs) like it was so bad that the road was blocked off because it was a puddle of water the interstate on the interstate yes it was crazy just water everywhere and so we got to the hospital my sister got the dogs and um we went in and um we got there and they're like okay so we got to do these three tests to figure out if your water really broke and i'm like okay it broke but okay so they first put a speculum in to see if the water was leaking and then they did a swab and i don't remember what the third one was and when she put the speculum in it was just like water flowing she's like well your water broke so we're gonna admit you so then they try to do a cervical check and i got Okay, there. <laughs> I got a uh, tilted uterus, so it was uncomfortable, and I told them to stop before they even got, you know, how many centimeters I was. And so they admitted me, and um, the nurse I got was actually 
Well, the first nurse, she was only there probably for maybe an hour because we got to the hospital around 4.30-ish. Um, and so shift change was at 7. So the second nurse that we got, you know, she claimed to be a master in, you know, progressing women to 10 centimeters. Yeah. And so she put me in all these crazy positions. By that time, my doula got there and we changed the room completely. Um, so we made sure it was it was already dark because it was nighttime. Um, but we had this projector that had like the Aurora Borealis on the, you know, on the ceiling. Um, we had a, a what do you call it? A diffuser. So we had some essential oils going. Um, we also had like uh, lights um, that were all around as well. Um, and we had, you know, some music on um, more of like meditation kind of music. Um, so we were real chill in there because I'm like, y'all ain't going to not stress me out. So, you know, I'm going through the motions and, you know, when they were putting me in positions, my uh, contractions were, you know, getting a little bit better, but not still consistent like it should be. And so, of course, the doctors come in. They're like, can we check you? And I'm like, mm, no. Um, and they kept on coming in. Can we check you? Can you catch? Can we check you? Can we check you? And I'm like, no. <laughs> Even though on the birth plan it says like, don't ask because this because we were telling you the answer is no. Mm-hmm. Um, but they proceeded every single time to you know do what they want to do. <laughs> yeah, and then they at one point I was just irritated, like you know. I, um, so when the doctor came in and said, can we check you? I was like, but. Do you guys understand that my water broke? I am GBS negative, but every time you guys stick your hands up me, that makes, you know, the rate of infection go up. And they're like, we understand, but I'm like, but what? Like, there is no but. Like, no. So. It's like you're on their time frame when you get there. Mm -hmm. And we knew that, but, you know, of course I was still resistant. And, you know. The people who know me know that this is right up my alley. Like, you know, I don't take much from anybody. So um, now it's like 10 p.m. at night, um, 10, 11 p.m. at night. And the doc and there was this one midwife or yes. No. Yeah. She's a midwife um, and she was black. And, you know, she was like, listen, I under I completely understand why you don't want to be checked. And she was like. You don't have to be checked. I'm fine with that. And she was like, I'm leaving now, but tomorrow morning when I get here, is it okay if I check you? I was like, absolutely. Like, you know, we're here. We're two. You, you're on our wavelength. And so um, she leaves. And then, you know, of course, the doctors come in. Can we check you? And so around midnight, um, they the doctor was like, can I please check you? And I'm like, okay, fine. But listen, <laughs> they didn't. They weren't successful the first time, so I'm going to give you one chance, and you can check me, but we're not playing hanky-panky in in my cervix, okay? So she did it, and I was so close to, to saying stop, but she was able to get um, get the you know measurements. And I told them in my birth plan, I said, I do not want to know my progression. I don't, I don't want to know because I'm that type of person. Like, I need to make it to... 100%. And so I was like, you can tell Brandy and the doula, but don't tell me. And so they all left and had a powwow outside and I'm going through the motions. She was only two centimeters. 
Yeah. At that time, when they checked. And um, so they don't tell me, but when um, we get back in, um, Donna had a heart to heart with me and she was like, you know, um, I know you don't want any type of medication, but the rate uh, in which you're going is, you know, is not what we want to see at this time. Um, and she was like, I think that you should um, try some epidural, not epidural, Pitocin. But wait, wait, wait. But before, before we got to that point, um, the doctors were basically trying to pin me and Nikkei against each other because they wanted me to convince her to continue to get the checks and to get the Pitocin and the epidural. And I actually had to walk out of, um, like walk around the hospital because I was like getting super angry because they, I basically, I basically said, I'm not going to force her to do anything that she doesn't want to do with her body. So, so stop asking me, like, I mean, this, by this time, it's like five and six times. Do you, you know, can we do the Pitocin? Can we check you? You know, like every 30 minutes, they're asking the same questions, like as if we're not giving them the answer, but it's not the answer they want to hear. Um, so then the doula, after we got the number, she was like, you know, it seems like, um, we want to see you further than this. You, you know? should be further than this and you're not, um, and so she suggested that I get Pitocin. a little, a little bit of Pitocin to assist. And she was like, she even told me, she was like, you know, knowing, knowing the way that you are now, you know, I don't think that this will lead to, you know, you getting any pain medications or anything like that. And I was like, okay. Um, so we got, got the little bit of Pitocin and it kind of, it, it jump started things. Um, and of course the doctors kept on coming in. Can we check you? Can we check you? Um, and I was in different positions. Um, we got into a little groove where they were doing hip um, pressing, you know, on my hips and stuff like that. And, um, you know, of course, I wasn't tied to the bed, you know. So um, I, I specifically said, I do not want to be tied to the bed. Um, you can monitor me, but I'm not going to be stuck to the bed. Um, so we're just doing different positions and stuff like that. And I'm just going through the motions and they're helping, you know, Brandy and Donna are helping me out. Um, and of course they want to check me again. Now it's over, it's overnight. So it's maybe, I don't know what time it was, probably like after 3 AM. This is the third, the third shift change. Yeah. And so, um, they asked to check me again and, they kept on asking, but eventually I let them, right? Yeah. And um, what was what, what was at I, that point? She was at six centimeters with the pitocin. I I don't know where it was, but I'm just going through the motion. So then it's shift change, right? And it's day shift. Um, so it's after seven a.m. And this woman, of course, I thought she was going to be, you know, she she's one of one of us. She's black. Um, and she's the attending, so she's the lead doctor um, for the day shift. And she comes in, and of course, we're in our zone. Like, we got the music, we got the essential oils, we got, you know, we're just grooving. And she comes in, and I'm I'm mid-contraction. Every time I have a, you know, contraction or wave, my eyes are closed. And but, by the, but by this point, she had, she had been placed on oxygen because 
um, during the, the contractions, the, during her contractions, the baby's heart rate was decelerating. Yeah. So my eyes are closed, right? Um, and I I know that there's people in the room, and I know Brandy and Donna are there, and um, the doctor's like, okay, so we need to check you, and I'm like, no. And she was like, but we need to know when to tell you to push. And I said, well, if you read my birth plan, because at this point I'm irritated, right? I have the birth plan. You just had a shift change. So I know you talk to the doctors because I work in a hospital and I know how this works. And so I, I know you already talked to the doctor that you relieved. And so I said in my birth plan, it says, I don't want to be told when to push. I'm going to push when my body's ready. And she was like, but we need to check you. And I said, why? And she was like, well, because if you push when you want to push, you can rupture your cervix and it's going to be this big surgery and all that stuff. And I said, I'm going to push when I feel the need to push. Um, And she's just trying to convince me to um, get her to check. And I said, but being rude about it, right? Mind you, she said when Nikkei wasn't answering her fast enough the first time because she was having a contraction, um, then she goes, Listen, I'm not trying to interrupt y'all aura or whatever y'all got going on in here, but you're Zen, but we, we need to know where you are so that we can figure out what, what all we need to do. And it's like, okay. She also was like, well, you know, the last time you were checked, you were six centimeters. And I was like, well, I guess you didn't talk to your colleagues because I told them I did not want to know where I was. Yeah. And so she was like, well, I'm going to, she talks to the nurse and she was like, I'm just going to go do my other rounds with other people. And yeah. I'm like, okay, bye. <laughs> we're we like, didn't need you anyway. Okay. Do and, you. And, and it was very disheartening because, you know, we're in this facility with all these people that are not brown and you know we see a brown person we get excited and then we get treated that way like you've been so um what do you call it um what's the word that i want to use passive aggressive well no she's been so brainwashed that you don't even see like and treat like like you should treat like you know and so um she leaves and I'm like, oh, I need to go to the bathroom. And so um, they helped me up to the bathroom, um, Donna and Brandy. And I didn't have to go to the bathroom. And so I get back in the bed in some position. And the nurse that I had, she was a young, a young nurse, you know. And I was like, I think I need to push. And she's like, oh, no, sweetie, you can't push yet. We have to check you. And then she leaves the room. And I'm like, forget what they say. I'm going to push, right? Brandy and Donna are in the room. There's no other medical professional in the room besides, you know, it's just us, us us three. (laughs) And so I'm I'm pushing and I'm pushing. And it's probably been like 20 minutes. Um where the nurse has not been in the room. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, they're probably having a powwow about me and how resistant I am and what they're oh, going to do. Yeah, because in her charts, they they were putting stuff like, refuse this, refuse that, refuse this. Like, you know, making it seem like she was the one being rude or something or just because she didn't want to do certain things. Yeah. And so um, 
and you know, especially in active labor, there's supposed to be a nurse in the hospital, in the room with the active labor person that the, uh, the whole time, but she wasn't there. Anyway, so, you know, every wave I'm pushing and um, then I guess I start crowning because Donna presses the nurse bell like she's crowning. And so then all these people rush into the room. Um, it's a teaching hospital. So nothing was set up. Not, <laughs> not they had nothing. Brought not one thing in that room for any type of anything. Nothing was set up. They were just like, hey, she ain't letting us do what we need to do. So we we ain't gonna rush to do anything else or do anything. Yeah. And so it's a teaching hospital. So I you know, even though my eyes were closed most of the time, um, when I did open my eyes, I felt like there was at least 20 people in the room. Um, and they were all staring. Like, it w- It was almost like we were at a concert, right? And I was, like, the main event. And they're just staring. They're not doing anything. Um, there was the my nurse. She was actually breaking down the stuff and getting stuff ready. But besides that, everyone was just staring. And then the doctor had the nerve to be like, can we check you? And I said, no. (laughs) And so I'm pushing and I'm pushing and in, in, and through the research, I'm not even going to say, you know, watching TV because no, literally doing research and seeing actual live births in hospitals they they assist like you know the nurse or the doctor puts a hand on you and tells you to push this way or whatever and just assist or in lift some, up your leg do something you know not anything one leg was cocked up that I cocked by myself and then the attending she was like you know she told Brandy and Donna that she's like I think you need to lift her other leg because every time she pushes she's also pushing her leg at the same time so. Brandy and Donna lifted my left leg. No medical professional has put a hand on me. They're just watching. So I'm pushing and I'm pushing. And then her head comes out. Adair's head comes out. And um, then the doctor's like, whoa, whoa, stop. Because, you know, she has the cord wrapped around her neck three times. And so even though I said that I wanted delayed cord clamping, they couldn't do that because the cord was wrapped around her neck. So the attending cut the cord Um, but she cut it like, I don't know how she cut it. It was long. So there was a little bit of, you know, blood that still was able to go into Adair, but, um, she cut the cord and then I pushed her the rest out and, you know, I didn't tear at all because I pushed when I was ready. She didn't have a cone head because I pushed when I was ready. Um, and, um, as soon as the nurse took her, Adair, pooped on her and I was like that's what y'all get like that's what y'all get and then you know we did skin to skin um I did skin to skin first and then Brandy did skin to skin um and um we were in so the Pitocin is still going on and I was like can y'all stop this and they're like well we have to wait an hour and of course I wanted my placenta and they're like well if your doula takes your placenta then she has to leave ASAP. Um, but then they were like, uh, she can wait an hour. And she was like, well, I'll just wait until they get to postpartum. And so we get to postpartum. And um, of course, the nurses over there are trying to give me medicine. They're like, well, here's some ibuprofen. Here's all this pain. I said, I'm not in pain. What do you mean you're not in pain? I'm not in pain. I'm not taking your medicine. I don't want it. 
Um, and then um, they checked Adair and her um, temperature, temperature was low. And so they wanted her to go to the NICU. The NICU. But the thing is, you know, when we went through the hospital tour online or whatever, they were specifically, they specifically said that we will never take your baby from your room. We can do everything in the, the room. But then they're like, oh, no, we need to take her to the NICU because there's a warmer in there and we can't bring the warmer into your room. We're like, why not? Um, and they're like, we just can't. And then we're like, but why not? And they're like, we just can't. We have to bring her to the NICU. And I'm like, well, Brandy, can you go with her? Because, you know, um, I don't want her to be in there by herself. And so Brandy went. Um, but because of COVID, Brandy couldn't go into the NICU and had to stay outside of it and watch her. Outside the window for like four hours mm -hmm. while and they were warming her up. And watch her. Um, and that time, you know, it had been over 24 hours. And Brandy was tired. Her feet were tired. And she was like, you know, I there's nowhere for me to sit or anything like that. And so um, I switched with her. I just got up and walked away. And the nurse was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm going to see my baby. Like, what's the problem? <laughs> and um, so throughout the postpartum part, you know, the nurses kept on coming in. They kept on bringing the medicines like, here, take this. And I'm like, I'm not taking this. Um, I'm vegan and I've been vegan for over 10 years and um, it's actually helped with my sickle cell. That's why I'm vegan. And so uh, they kept on bringing me prenatal vitamins. And I'm like, I can't take your pre prenatal vitamins because I'm vegan. And of course they put in a chart refusal. And the only reason I knew that they put in a chart refusal is because when the next nurse came in, she was like, oh, I see that you refused pain medicine and you refused all this stuff. And I was like, you know, I explained that I'm not in pain. I'm not taking your pain medicine if I'm not in pain. Um, and uh, I can't take the vitamins because one, I know that these vitamins that you're trying to give me were made in the lab and I don't do that. I take vitamins that are made from plants um, and I'm just not going to take what you're giving me. <clears throat> and so, you know, it was definitely difficult in the um, postpartum because, you know, they were already, they had already got word of what happened in labor and delivery. And so. Yeah, you, we, we actually asked to leave early because she was, you know, feeling all right. Yeah. And they refused to let her leave early. <laughs> and then the, even the day they said we could leave, they they stalled. Um, they were like, well, we got to wait for the, attend the, the, the doctor to come in. Um, and when the doctor comes in, it's the same damn lady. <laughs> the attending. That, that didn't want to help us deliver the baby. So she didn't want to sign the paperwork for us to leave. And I'm like, this is crazy. And so the um, pediatrician already was like, okay, she can go. So Adair was born on a Friday. She lashed um, immediately too. At 8.33 a.m. And it was pouring rain when she was born. Um, and um, so we wanted to leave Saturday, especially because of COVID. I had been hearing that people were being let go you know, if it was a vaginal delivery, no complications, they were, you know, instead of saying three days, they were letting them go. So I was ready to go. Like, I don't like being in a hospital. I'm vegan. And you guys aren't feeding me the way that I need to be fed. Um, and there's nothing wrong with me. 
um, and there was nothing wrong with the dare. Um, and so the pediatrician was like, oh yeah, we you can go Saturday. But uh, OB was like, no, you can't go. So they didn't let us leave until Sunday, um, Sunday afternoon. And it was funny because when the attending came into the room to, I guess, wave her little wand and say you're discharged, um, she was very standoffish. Like she stayed at the door and was like, anything going on with you? And I said, no. And she was like, okay, good luck. And then left. Um, so, you know, didn't really ask any questions or anything like that. It, it was very clear that she was uncomfortable with my resistance in labor and delivery. And my thing is that, you know, I know my body better than y'all know my body. And um, so let me do me. You're, having birth is not a medical issue. It's something that we've been doing naturally for so long. But in the last, you know, wait, 50 years, it became a hospital thing. But it's, it shouldn't be a hospital thing because this is something that comes naturally, whether you have a illness or not, you know, and... Um, but mainstream Western medicine has made it such that it's procedural and things, but people, people's bodies don't work that way. Um, and when you put people under time constraints, that's what leads to C-section. And that was the one thing I didn't want to get to knowing that, you know, I'm already, and because I have sickle cell anemia, I'm already anemic and you lose a lot more blood in having a C-section than you do in having a vaginal delivery. I just didn't want to get to that point. Also, I've never been under anesthesia in my life. And um, because I have sickle cell, anesthesia does, sometimes doesn't work as well with sickle cell patients and they um, end up having uh, breathing issues. So, you know, knowing all of that, I'm just like, uh, my mom did natural, everyone, in my family on both sides did natural birth because they weren't in this country, you know? Um, so I think that I'm able to do it. And I was, you know, with the support of Donna and Brandy, I was able to do what I wanted, um, even though I had a lot of resistance behind me. I'm curious about this hospital. <laughs> I, so I can tell you what it was, but I don't know if you want to air it or not. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to give them free publicity, but I'll ask you about it later <laughs> off the record today, okay. this time. <laughs> okay. And the reason why I chose that hospital is because, um, let's, uh, so in sickle cell, um, sickle cell patients are are most likely seen as um, drug seekers, um, as drug addicts, right? As adults, as children, you know, they're cute and cuddly and they're in pain. I'm going to make them feel better um, and give them pain medicine. Um, but when we become adults, we're seen as drug seekers. And um, because of that stigma, if I go into any hospital, um, any ER and say, I'm in pain, you know, of course, the majority of people, at least in this area, that are in these hospitals are white. They don't understand what sickle cell is. And they just, they, they don't believe our pain, right? You know, systemically, 
medicine, Western medicine don't doesn't believe in black women's pain, right? They don't see our pain the same in the same light as white people's pain. And so they don't believe that we're actually in the amount of pain. And then when we be, when we come educated and say, this is the type of medication I need to relieve my pain, they're like, well, now you're specific about what medication you need. You're definitely a drug seeker. And so because of that, I created this network of doctors um, that would all have access to my chart. Um, and that would be able to see me as me and not as this drug seeker. So the reason why I chose this hospital is because that's where my special, my sickle cell specialist is, is, um, and everyone has access to my chart. So the maternal field medicine person, he had access to my chart and I had a conversation with him, you know, early on in the pregnancy. And I'm like, listen, I do have sickle cell, but I'm an anomaly. Like, it had been 26 years since I ever stepped foot in the hospital for my sickle cell because, you know, having a Haitian mother, we don't do the hospital. We do, we take care of this at home. And so I'm able to manage my pain and my sickle cell at home. And so, you know, because of that, I've been an anomaly in the sickle cell world. They're like, what do you mean you have sickle cell? You haven't been in the hospital? What pain medicine do you take? Like when you go to the hospital, I haven't been in the hospital, so I don't know. So um, that's the reason why I chose that hospital is because they had this big picture of me for over 10 years. And so, yeah, that's the reason why I chose that hospital. And the, the crazy thing is during the pregnancy, um, I had an episode of, um, it's called SVT, it's superventricular tachycardia. So my, my heart rate was over 200 while I was pregnant. And the doctor told me, he's like, if it ever gets, if you ever have an episode, go to the hospital. So I work in the ER now and um, I, it was too far to go to Baltimore to the hospital when it happened. And so I called one of my ER doctor friends and said, hey, I know you work at this ER close to my house. I said, are you working tonight? He was like, no. I said, well, can you call them ahead of time and let them know that I'm coming and explain the situation? Because if I if I just would have walked in there, they would have treated me differently, thinking that I was a drug seeker or whatever. So he was able to do that. And when I got there, they were able to take care of me. Um, Although they did nothing, it stopped on its own. And so I didn't have to get any medication, which was, you know, what I want. I don't, I didn't want to take any medicine, but, um, you know, having sickle cell um, and being in a medical professional, I've been lucky because I've been able to um, articulate myself in a way that I am not stigmatized um, because I don't let it get to that point. But unfortunately, not all sickle cell patients have that opportunity to do that. So... At most of the hospitals, like here, in, we're in Columbus, Ohio, like mm-hmm. when a birthing person reaches six centimeters, they typically set up the room because <laughs> it's, you're, you're, you're right there at transition and it could go from zero to 60 at any moment. Real quick. And like there's some, there's some real basic level things going on at this hospital that are like questionable. <laughs> and I think are we not know, prepared? Yeah, and I think the thing is, you know, when afterwards, you know, thinking about it, I was telling Donna and Brandy like the way that I felt it was like, you know, they were watching a movie or watching a concert and they didn't want to put their hands on me because they were worried about liability. And it wasn't about 
me as a patient giving birth to this child. It was about how can I cover my butt in this situation because she is so resistant and we already told her that she can rupture her cervix. So I think that that had a part in it and why they didn't do basic things that they should have done um, to prepare for her. It's, it's just so weird. Like if someone says this person is crowning, you don't need to do a check. <laughs> you know? There's no check for that. It's just, it was, oh, there's like, hair. No. That is the check. <laughs> I'm crowning. Can you do a check? She was like, no, for what? Yeah. Like, what? I mean, because what, and, but I think they asked again because she was crowning, but by the time they got in there, obviously, you know, baby had went back, back in. <laughs> because her, her cord was wrapped around her neck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it was a it was not a, a, a the best experience <laughs> at all um but i feel like i got at least what i what i needed um yeah as far as i mean i just need y'all to be present I, but i didn't need y'all to do anything for me and you didn't do anything for me um donna and brandy did this for me y'all just weren't even present you were present at the end you know um so just disruptive though yeah the doctor came in just it's like she stepped into a space that made her uncomfortable yeah Mm -hmm. and so she decided to make everyone uncomfortable yes um exactly because nothing you did was weird to me and i know i'm a doula (laughs) but i was just kind of like but you know this is basic <laughs> like but you would think we live in like on another planet or something like they looking at us like y'all are so strange y'all are so weird and i'm like we're not asking for much we're not i mean this is this is not unusual this is how it goes in a lot of places you know if she didn't have sickle cell we probably would have did a home birth you mm-hmm. know but because of the sickle cell it's like I don't think I don't even think you would have been able to do the home birth because of the sickle cell because you know the other pre-existing conditions yeah and the crazy thing is you know I have my six weeks so um she latched fine you know when the lactation consultant came in she was like you're one of like my best patients like I don't need to see you like you yeah you got you got this and um so you know as far as the breastfeeding went it went wonderful i was able to collect like i have a deep freezer full of milk um i was just able to collect so much milk and so i was good you know the the whole six weeks after birth and so when i went to go see my maternal fetal medicine um specialist uh for the last time you know he um you know did the normal checks and the funny thing is you know i guess they offer you birth control and they offer you a test, the STD test. And he was like, I know that you don't want that. Like, you know, I don't even have to ask. Like, he, the, that's the way that I felt. Like, he was like, you don't want that. And I'm like, you're not even asking. In my head, I'm like, he's not even asking me, but I don't want it. I don't need it, you know. But um, but also word had got around. <laughs> yeah. About. He's, yeah, he was like, yeah, I heard about uh what all was going on yeah <laughs> as if we were doing something wrong you know mm-hmm. and it's like he was like you know well i figured they would have a little uh how can i say i guess he i guess he was saying that he knew that it was going to be some issues with 
the way that she wanted to do things because they just don't do that there. Yeah. Yeah. And so he he said, you know, I knew you were going to have some a little pushback. <laughs> and I told him, I said, your colleagues aren't fans of mine. And I said, next time, I know there's not going to be a next time. I'm not getting pregnant again. But <laughs> if there is a next time, I will not be coming here. I will be having this baby at home. Um, so he was like, I, I good for you. Um, but uh, before, before, we forgot to tell him about... Um, the midwife. So after the birth, um, oh, yeah. we get into postpartum and the midwife comes and she was like, what happened? I was supposed to check you when I got back. And I was like, she's here. And <laughs> she was like, good for you. She was like, She's if like, okay. I, if, um, if I would have answered the phone, I would have told you to stay home longer just because your water broke. So you didn't need to come here. Um, and so she was like, but good for y'all for keeping for standing your ground. Yeah, that's what she said too. And you know, it's interesting. Every time I see a midwife in like a hospital setting, I'm like, but why? Why are you here? Because this is not the way that midwifery is practiced. You know. Um, but you know, she was she was she was like, here's my email. Send me newborn pictures. Like you know. Um, but she was she was proud of us for you know standing our ground and doing what we thought was best. For, for our birth, yeah, yeah. Well, they are certainly there um, for those who need the support, who may not be able to pay for at-home births or be able to qualify, right? Yeah. And so it's good to have them in the hospitals. We want them to be there and be, make it more accessible. Of course, midwifery care is just patient mm -hmm. and it is more understanding um. um something that i'm thinking about is the part brandy when you were describing how you felt they were pitting you like against anike yeah and you know it's always it's great to have doula support but it's also a reminder to support uh, to to birthing people and support making sure that you check in before your birth about what you all are seeking for yeah. this birth, right? Because there are going to be points where um, the birthing person might not be able to, they're in the zone or things are happening and they're yeah. not able to be as vocal yeah. as they need to be or a situation where doctors are all out of pocket pulling you away, but that you're able to maintain what y'all's vision was yeah. for this. Right. Mm -hmm. So that you're on the same wavelength of like, no, this is what we said and this is where we're going. I don't care what y'all got going on, but this is what we've decided. Yeah. Um, because there are those moments where, you know, um, support people do have to really be the biggest voice in the room. And it can be difficult if you haven't if you're not aligned in what that should look like yeah. um, or how that might show up. Uh, so I was I, I'm. It's unfortunate that that happened, but I'm glad that you were able to share that piece because, um, yeah, you, you, I think, you know, we think, oh, yeah, we go in, these things are going to pop, like, we know we have our birth plan, we got our diagrams, which they don't <laughs> clearly <laughs> read or look at. <laughs> yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, but that. But yeah, that you you will have to sometimes be that lead voice in the room. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'm just thinking too about Anike, you know, dealing with 
um, your health history and how you're able to really navigate that. And I, I loved when you said like being able to walk in and then see me as this person, but not, not because I have sickle cell, but just seeing me as this person walking in. And I think for many people who have um, an extended health history, there is this like complicated relationship with hospitals and healthcare providers. Um, and if you don't have the tools or um, the ability to like you are to just navigate it so beautifully, how that shows up in birth, right? Like even with your extended knowledge about like, this is what I need. This is, it was like, y'all didn't read the chart. <laughs> like y'all, <laughs> I've been here for 10 years. Yeah. Basic. I came here for a purpose yeah. and you didn't extensively look at the chart to then, you know, bring all of that to the table of like why I might be refusing this or yeah. why this might not work for me or why I have these preferences in place. Right. Um, it's holistically looking at the person yeah. <laughs> about like, what is your body, what does your body show me before? How might that show up? And then also understanding it might not even matter that day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because birth does its own thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, just, so thank you for sharing your journey. Um, with us with that. And I, I also, it's just a reminder of, it shouldn't be that hard. Um, it right. Shouldn't. It should, <laughs> it shouldn't be that hard. And, you know, you really laying out the difference of like children who've been diagnosed with sickle cell, adults who have sickle cell and that stigma. Um, it shouldn't be that hard. It shouldn't be that complicated. And it's just um, understanding our own biases when we work with people who have a health history, whatever they might look like. Um I'm ranting now, but that's how I feel. So, never get them, Laurel. <laughs> the other thing um, is that um, so she was born in June. Um, I was out of work until September, the beginning of September, um, and I went back to work. Fine, no issues. Uh, at the end of September, when the weather changed, because um, with sickle cell weather really affects us um drastic change in weather especially so my favorite seasons are the summer and the winter because you can plan for that whereas the fall and the spring it's a roller coaster and so um at the end of september it was the first um cold day and i went straight into crisis um sickle cell crisis and usually pre-pregnancy pre you know, birth, I'm able to manage it at home. You know, I take my pain medicine, I, you know, get my hot water bottles, I bundle up, I drink a lot of fluids. Um, But this time, none of that worked. Um, And so I told Brandy, I'm like, I need to go to the hospital. Uh, But I'm I'm breastfeeding, right? And, um, you know, it's just Brandy and I, my mom lives in Baltimore. And so that's the only support that we have in the area. And so I call my mom and she's like, just go to the hospital. Just go to the closest hospital. I said, I can't. If I go to the closest hospital saying that I just took oxycodone because that's what I'm prescribed for my pain and I'm breastfeeding, they're going to call CPS on me, like legit. And so I said, I can't just go to a hospital. I need to go to you know, the hospital in Baltimore, but I can't drive myself. At that point, I couldn't walk. I was in so much pain. My mom comes, she gets off of work and comes um, 
But at that time, it's overnight, and I'm like, well, we're not going to leave right now. We'll leave in the morning. So Brandy takes me to the hospital in the morning, and we're fine. You know, like, they actually see me for me because I go to the hospital that has my chart, you know. Um, and then, but they're not able to, you know, I go to a clinic, I go to the sickle cell clinic, and they are trying to treat me there, but what they're treating me with doesn't it doesn't touch my pain at all. So I'm in excruciating pain. I can't walk. Um, and so the basic thing, like I asked to get a pump. It took, babe, how long did it take for them to get me a pump? Almost a whole day. <laughs> to <laughs> get me a, whole, a, a pump. Day. Yeah, to pump. Um, but so that, that clinic, the sickle cell clinic closed and they sent me to the ER because they wanted to admit me, but there weren't any beds. And so I get to the ER and they treat me like I had COVID because, you know, in sickle cell, sometimes your white cell count goes up while you're in a crisis. And so my white cell count was up. So they treated me like COVID. They put me in a COVID tent and got, gave me a test. And I was negative, of course. Finally, they got me the pump. And then um, the ER doctor actually reads my chart. She comes in and she's like, so I read your chart and Brandy's like, thank you. We, we have been there the whole, we've been there the whole day. Yeah. And, and they're making her do the same old things every single time. And I'm like, is anybody reading her chart? Like they're asking her like, oh, why are you on oxygen? Did you, did you read the chart? <laughs> like you would know why she's on oxygen if you would read the chart. Yeah. So out of probably about 10 people, one person read the chart one person read the chart and so she goes so i'm gonna give you a breakdown on what i know about you and she's like you have sickle cell you just had a baby um you you're breastfeeding yeah you're breastfeeding you usually take oxycodone for your pain um and that you used to be on hydroxyurea but you're off of it because you're pregnant you were pregnant and breastfeeding i said i was never on hydroxyurea Hydroxyurea is a medication that they sometimes give, well, they most of the time give sickle cell patients um, to, it's, it's, it's actually a, a, a chemo, it's, all, it's a chemo medication. So it targets sickled cells and gets rid of them, you know, destroys them so that you have less sickled cells um, in your body to, to prevent sickle cell crises. So I was like, I was never on that drug and I don't plan on being in She was like, I don't know why that's in your chart. And I'm like, it's, I'm not. And she was like, so what do you usually take for pain when you come to the hospital? And I said, it's been 26 years since I've been in the ER. I don't know. And she was like, okay, so we're, we're going to start you on medication and put it in a PCA pump. And I said, I don't know what that is. She was like, you don't know what a PCA pump is? I was like, I haven't been in the hospital in 26 years. And she was like, well, it's this, I, I told her, I said, unless you give it to children too. And she was like, oh no. And she was like, a PCA pump is when you control your pain medicine. So it's like you press a button when you need pain medicine. And so that helped. Um, and then they got me admitted and all, you know, all was good. And I was discharged, but a week later, <laughs> yeah, I was discharged a week later. Um, but it, it, it was interesting that, you know, in because I was there for sickle cell, they, you know, were more mindful of it. Whereas when I was pregnant, they it were very rigid and just wanted to do what they wanted to do, you know. Um, but if, if I were ha to have gone to another hospital, I know for sure that they would have called CPS. And I used to work for CPS and that's not... <laughs> Mm -mm. It's not going to happen because, you know, 
you know, um, they have this uh, book, I think it's called Hales. I'll look it up. But um, the book is about um, medications and what um, it's called Hales Medications and Mother's Milk. So um, it's it says what interacts and what goes through um, and that would get to, you know, the baby. And so, you know, I was aware of it and, you know, no, but as soon as you say there's a pregnant woman who's taking drugs and is breastfeeding or not pregnant, but a mother who's taking drugs and breastfeeding, that's an automatic CPS call. Instead of understanding what this person is taking, what's going on with this person and what they're doing to prevent any issues with, you know, the baby. So, um, I wasn't willing to take that risk to go anywhere else. Um, because I created this network for a purpose, you know. Hales has a whole app. So yeah, they could have got on the app. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but that's, it's, it's a really good point of there being this disconnect of understanding, like after someone's had a baby, what happens? How do you interact? How, do, how does that all work? And they're just it being siloed, right? Like you'll have lactation consultants, or counselors or people in that field who are able to kind of understand that many doctors have no real background on lactation. So then it, yeah, it's just all over the place when it's like, this should, it should, if, if you are going into maternal care, I think you need to understand it fully. And that means understanding what happens after someone has had a baby. Yep. Full spectrum doctors. That's yeah. what we need. Yeah. Full spectrum OBs, midwives. Yeah. Like you got to cover everything. Right. right. <laughs> A basic knowledge of all the things that uh-huh. surround this individual that is happening. Exactly. Right. And that's what holistic medicine is, you know, like that's what it should be. We, sh- I mean, I understand the, the importance of specialists, but you need to because everything is connected. This is one body. It's not like several different departments. Like this is one body and everything is connected. So, you know, everyone should be holistic, but you know, they're not. And I've canceled a lot of doctors because they're like, they think that I'm a, a, ch- a experiment because they haven't seen, you know, a sickle cell patient before and they want to try all these new fancy drugs. And I'm just like, I'm not here for any of it. Um, but you need to see me as the whole me and not just as this disease and what you think you know about it, you know? You certainly did something important for those, um, the other doctors that, like you said, it was a teaching hospital. And so they may not have ever even seen someone with sickle cell have a baby or especially not a vaginal birth because they are often, um, they prefer to do c-section right um just because it's it's easier to manage yeah yeah let's just say it like that yeah so while you may not have wanted to be there and be under you know all those watchful eyes in that that space that i hope that they carried that with them so when they interact with someone else that's had sickle cell they don't necessarily remember how that doctor treated them, but how that patient's body responded to this very natural process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, we're all not the same. It's not just the book. This is what we do with sickle cell people. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, <laughs> it's like, see your patients as people and not as, you know, 
we're just going to, you know, this is what we do. This is what we do. We, this is what we do. Then we get you out. It's like, see the, see the person, like what happened to your people skills? Like, isn't that why you wanted to be a doctor or no? Like, because you love people and you love babies and pregnancy. Like it's like, all of that has been kind of removed and it's like, boom, 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 boom. It's very, get out. (laughs) Don't let the doorknob hit you. where the good Lord splits you, whatever that saying is, but they just, you know, <laughs> it's boom, 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 gone. I was, this has been said multiple times um, on many Instagram accounts, but I think it just came up for me today that like the system is not broken. It's being created and used exactly how it's supposed to do. And I think, you know, people, one, we just need to start over and go back, like you've been saying, to the root, but that when people do go into working specifically in like hospitals or or systems in that way, there's this idea of like, I'm walking in, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z and not understanding just how that system breaks everything down so that you, that's not going to happen. There's a point where they're like, yeah, your people skills got to (laughs) go. In order for this to work, in order for you to get where you may want to go or what you may want to do, you have to follow these rules. You have to be within this box. And there's many people who will, yeah, I went in, it was wonderful. And then you hear these stories of them leaving mm-hmm. because the system just beats you down. Yeah. Um, so we need to start over. That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> We're not going to do that today. <laughs> Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners, whether it be resources, advice, or anything else from your birthing experience that you may have left out? Um, uh, I think that doulas are very important. Um, yeah. And if you have the, put it on your birth, your, uh, your what do you call it? Baby shower. Your baby registry list. Yeah. Like, um, that is important, as, as important as diapers are, get a doula, um, because they can educate you on what to expect as well as, you know, help you realize what you can handle, you know? Um, and so I do think that doulas are important. Um, as far as sickle cell is con- concerned, I actually um, have a sickle cell uh, group on Facebook. It's the largest sickle cell group on Facebook. It's called Sickle Cell Anemia Disease. Um, and there's a whole bunch of people from all walks of life. Um, and they some people are on the more natural side as I am, and some people aren't. But we all come together and talk about our experiences um, and so if you have sickle cell, join it. Um, you'll get a lot of information about, you know, your disease as well as how you can navigate the healthcare system um, so that you don't feel like um, a problem to the healthcare system, but you're educated on what you need to do in order to get help. We are grateful. We are really grateful for y'all shared today. Um, I learned a lot. I'm excited for our listeners to connect to this journey. Um, so thank y'all. Thank, thank you for having us and letting us share. Thanks for listening to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com. 